My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. was a TV Christian. What's a TV Christian, you ask? Actually, I don't think you're asking. I don't think there's any confusion, you know. If you're a follower of Jesus, at least one who grew up in America, you totally know. You consciously know. You are aware. You can only endure the presence of one for so long. Who forgets that level of discomfort? There you are at the movies. Some nut comes on the screen and you just want to scream. Hey! If you're not a Christian, well, I'd argue you kind of know too. Because I think you do. The TV Christian. Often very similar to the movie Christian or the contemporary fiction Christian. I I think I just like the sound of TV Christian better, so that's what we're going to go with. Okay? You know what I mean. The TV Christian, what does a TV Christian sound like? Well, again, you know. Stealing food now? Going out now, Mrs. Carmody. Please stand aside. You can't go out. I won't allow it. Won't allow it? It's against God's will. Don't you know that by now? Haven't I proven myself again and again and again? Haven't I shown that I am his vessel? Oh, boy. The crazy Christians. Hey, that reminds me of something. Watch out, world. Something big is coming your way. They're alive. They're bold. They're friendly. They're the crazy Christians. Walking down your street, sharing with your neighbors, sharing with your children, and yes, even sharing with you. Last Supper Pictures presents the crazy Christians. There's nothing else like it. They carry a Bible in their hand and a smile on their face. They touch people's lives wherever they go. Many may laugh in mockery, but soon you'll be laughing with joy as you meet up with... The Crazy Christians. You'll see scenes like this. Yeah, I'm the sheriff in this town since some crazy Christians came through. My jails is empty. Well, I haven't had a thing to do for weeks now. Of course, uh, Clem, he's a fellow who owns a liquor store. He's going to teach me how to crochet later this afternoon. But uh, (laughs) since those crazy Christians come through here, things just ain't the same. Yes, where crazy Christians go, joy and love follow. Watch out. They're everywhere spreading the good news. Hi. How you doing? Great. Did you know that Jesus died on the cross for you? You're kidding. Nope. Uh, For me? Fuck, Weezer? Yes, soon even you will be saying things like, Praise the Lord, in Jesus' name, and it's all gonna burn. No more will you be filled with fear, frustration, and depression when your life is touched by those crazy Christians. The world is ready. Christ is returning. See it and believe it. Crazy Christians is appearing everywhere. Buck Weezer? <laughs> okay, I know that was pretty terrible, but it was like from the 70s. Isaac Air Freight. That's from like when I was a kid. All right. No one really thinks of that 
when they think of crazy Christians, okay? People tripping over themselves with joy isn't what comes to mind. Sadly, what they usually think of when they think of crazy Christians is this. And welcome back to Hannity and Combs. Today, more than 1,000 family and friends attended the funeral of Iowa Army National Guard Sergeant Daniel Sester. He was killed in Iraq earlier this month. But as they filed into the funeral, they were confronted with protesters carrying signs with anti-gay slogans and words like, thank God for dead soldiers. Members of the Westboro Baptist Church have been protesting military funerals since last June, but today's display came just one day after Iowa Governor Tom Vilsack signed legislation that specifically bans disorderly conduct within 500 feet of a funeral or a memorial service. Joining us now from Westboro Baptist Church, Shirley Phelps Roper is uh, with us. Uh, you feel good about this? You feel good about going to the funerals of men that put their lives on the line for their country to give you the right to do this and to put oh, pain and to inject pain into their families' lives. This is this something you feel good about? I feel good about warning this nation that the wrath of God is pouring out on their heads. So you want to warn they the nation will not obey. You, and you, then, and the Lord, the Lord your God is punishing this nation, and He's doing it. One of His weapons of choice is sending your children home dead yeah. from the battle. So okay. we're there to help you connect the dots. And what I feel best about is that, in spite of the fact that those legislative Taliban in Iowa passed an unconstitutional measure to try to stop us from putting the cup of the fury and wrath of God to your lips and making you yeah. drink it, that we were not. doing it anyway. Um, all right, now look. Blah. Gross. Irony with the show in mind. Uh, in contrast, TV Christians grieve my soul less than some of the real life ones, turns out. You know, while we're on the subject, these people, people, tacking the name of Jesus up on something so utterly unlike the Christ of the scriptures, claiming any form of Christianity that does not mirror their own, you know, like showing compassion in situations where these liars promote condemnation. They proudly claim that anything that doesn't mirror their version of Christianity is of the devil. That sounds a lot like the devil, really. That much ego, that much rage. They see themselves as reflecting God, even going so far as to presume to be the voice of God, to be the mouthpiece of his judgment, man and even on his own people. Smack that rock twice, Moses. To so casually withhold the grace by which they themselves have been saved is madness. A madness that these lunatics, in a masterpiece of further irony, cite as a testament to their own purity. <laughs> Pride is a table supported by two legs, narcissism and arrogance, good for only falling down on top of your feet. Hope you haven't put too much on top of that thing before it comes down on top of your itty-bitty toes. Or else. What's the matter with you? Don't you believe in God? No one's interfered with you. All we're asking for is the same privilege. You heard him. It is these people who brought this upon us. They, people who refuse to bend to the will of God and claim it privilege, sinners and pride, 
lucky, privileged. They mock us, they mock our, our God, our faith, our values, our very lifestyle. They mock our humility and our piousness. They piss on us and laugh. It it's from them. The blood of human sacrifice must come from them. The blood of expiation. You try it. Fucking try it! Come on! We want the boy. You we get want back. the boy! Yeah, you, get back. you get back! Come on now! Good news, you loonies. Same grace which you ignore. The grace I'm counting on to save my own neck covers you too. You want divine irony? There it is. But enough with them folks. Tired of them people. See, I started this episode off so many weeks ago, really, <laughs> with a completely different name. Essentially, it was this whole rant about how Christian people are portrayed in pop culture and entertainment. I just felt like it was going nowhere. Focusing on that alone was just boring. You know, I kept coming back to this, though. In the end, I decided this was a better, healthier thing to focus on. Just what am I focusing on? Well, I'm focusing on finding something higher. I'm looking for more than just the tired old gripe about the standard ops TV Christian. Instead, I'm looking for evidence of the truth that I know my faith holds. In between the cracks. Hidden. Think of them as small victories behind enemy lines. I'm looking for the cool shit. The inside information behind the scenes. Like secret messages in the liner notes of an album you have no reason to believe will contain such treasures. And if I have to explain to you what liner notes are, we just don't have the time. Look it up. I want to see the truth about my faith in the most unlikely places, and I want you to help me. Look, on one hand, I could bitch and moan and lament our bad press and pop culture, but why? T to what end? This isn't our home. This should not be a shock, and what does it really matter? On the other hand, how much cooler is it, how much more rewarding would it be to look for and find, you know, that flower that pops through the concrete right in the middle of a sidewalk, totally unexpected, you know? I think that's a more rewarding pursuit, searching and keeping an eye out for that instead of wasting time getting pissed off about things and things that point the wrong direction. Or worse, getting worn out by clunky Bible verse on a pencil eraser addiction to mediocrity. <laughs> you like that? Have you read the book yet? What's the holdup? Frankie Schaefer, addicted to mediocrity. Come on now. To me, this is a quiet little phenomenon. The hidden breath of heaven. At least that's what I've decided to call it just now. Is it corny? I don't care. I mentioned this concept to a few friends. I asked them to think on it a bit, just see if anything came to mind. And, uh, of course, I put the word out on Facebook, and I got some good stuff, so we're going to talk about it all tonight. Of course, 
I brought in a little help. Tonight we have future and also past, but not actually past because I'm not good at stuff sometimes. Friend of the show, Mike Lewis, who also happens to be a fellow podcaster these days with his own new show, Giving is Believing. And also a bonus because he's super smart and knows stuff. Our old buddy Matt Johnson had something kind of awesome to contribute. Something I think you might find very surprising. What is it? Take a listen. But first. So, where you guys been? I never was a workaholic. <laughs> I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that I know, okay? Uh, and to further say, A, it stokes me to hear you've missed the show. Trust me, I've missed it too. B, thank you for your support, for the emails, for the Patreon contributions, for the responses to help build this very show that you're listening to right now, and for all the love. And uh, C, Everything is fine, honestly. Everything is great, actually. It's just, I've been asking all along, what now? And music isn't a full-time thing for me, you know? And by the way, it, it hasn't been for a long, long time, okay? Kind of never was, hence the name of the show. What happens now is life, and part of life, part of my life at least, is a real job. And I finally got one, so praise God. It's not a normal job, of course. Where's the fun in that? In fact, it's like a year's worth of work in five months. But it's a job, and I'm stoked. I get one day off a week, and then I'm right back at it. But here's the good news. In the big picture, it will enable me to continue doing this show and a lot of other things. And I won't have to live in a cardboard box as a result. Now, here's, here's something that's funny. I once posted a picture on Instagram of my job something that takes me no time and that most people are able to do. Anyway, um, someone replied, it must be nice to be rich. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand it. It's my job. It's not like I own the job or something. I don't know. Uh, but I wasn't sure how to respond to that. Like, it must be nice to be rich. So I, whatever. Anyway, uh, Look, most of the people on this show uh, have made less money doing music than one might pull at a job like mine or a bartending gig or even a retail job. That's why we take them. It's just a fact. None of us, not one person who's been on this show is calling from a mansion, okay? At least not in American terms of measurement. Most likely, they're living in an apartment just like you. Or in my case... A house in Florida where my mortgage is less than it would cost to rent a two-bedroom house in the hood back home. So I work. We all work. We're supposed to work. The thing is, this show takes time. And if I want to make it right, and I do, it takes time. But I got responsibilities, you know? So that being said, the shows are coming. Just take a little longer for a minute. Just for a minute. You know, when Billy and I started this, I had days and days to put them together. It's called unemployment. But now I got a job and it's just, uh, you know, just a little iffy for the moment. But I'm halfway through my work season, so just a little while longer, my one day off gets spent with my old lady, okay? 
I'm still plugging away, still building them in whatever pace I can, but you know, I want to live my life. I might want to go to the movies every once in a while. But as I stated on my personal Facebook page, I'm not going to put these shows out until I'm happy with them, okay? I feel like that's what you deserve. You deserve a good show done right. I appreciate your words of encouragement and support. I appreciate those of you contributing to the Patreon page. And please know that I still have not taken a a single cent from that thing. Not a single penny. It's not for me. It's for the people who make the show possible. I just had to tell you this. I didn't want to leave you hanging. Uh, You know, I didn't want to let you down. Just, you know, just get my hustle on for a minute. But we'll be back and you'll be sick of my voice before you know it. All right, let's get into something. One thousand years ago, in the mid-90s, Wayne Everett, whom you might remember from bands like Prayer Chain and Starflyer 59, Wayne and I were talking about the album Octune Baby. No, this is not going to be a long U2 rant, just hold on. I was griping about the the lyrics. I did not get the lyrics of Octune Baby, especially when considering them against the arc of the albums that had preceded it, you know. War, Unforgettable Fire, Joshua Tree, even Rattle and Hum. I just, I thought this was just, I just didn't get it. And uh, Wayne tells me, you know, you're, you're looking at it wrong. You're, you're not seeing something that's really cool and it's right in front of your eyes. So he cites the song Until the End of the World. This is not my favorite track on the album, okay? Still not really my favorite track on the album. But in, in what I can now only describe as weariness, <laughs> He was explaining to me that it wasn't some clumsy love song, but it was actually a song written from the perspective of Judas after he betrayed Jesus. And I was floored. Sure enough, you know, I read about it later in, in uh, the book U2 at the End of the World by Bill Flanagan, and there's all kinds of stuff going on underneath there that I just didn't pick up on. So that conversation came to mind when I finally settled on the episode and, and what I wanted to talk about. And I just got to thinking, what else out there is like this? What are the cool things just under the surface, you know, could we find if we just pause for a minute and do a little digging? So with that in mind, any Lester Bangs fans out there? If so, you might know the answer to this Jeopardy question. Who was England's first Catholic rock band? Anyone? Anyone? Well, maybe Matt Johnson can help us out. To give people some context, if you don't know who Lester Bangs is, he was a a really great rock journalist and he wrote for the magazine Cream. I don't think it's... I don't know if it's in print anymore, but back in the heyday, like late 60s, 
um, on through like the mid seventies, um, was this great rock mag, um, and really good music journalism. I think, um, Patty Smith, like did some writing for them. Um, okay. I think later, maybe I might have this wrong, but I think Cameron Crowe did also. And if anybody ever saw that movie, um, almost famous, yes, almost yep. famous. I was kind of blanking there for a second. So Lester, the Lester Bangs character shows up in that movie. It's uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Cameron Crowe's like this young teenage kid. And he goes on the road with this band that almost makes it They're you know, not quite radio hit band, but kind of on the way. And yeah. um, I can't remember if they mention it in the movie or if it just sort of alludes to it, but I think they're supposed to be on tour with Sabbath with black Sabbath. I might be, I'm, I may have my details wrong there, but I, for some reason I, that sticks out in my mind. Anyway, the Cameron Crowe teenage character in that movie, he talks with this older schlubby guy. who's a rock journalist and he's giving (laughs) him all this, all this advice um, about rock journalism and, you know, talking to bands and stuff. Well, that character played by uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is Lester Bangs. Mm-hmm. And Lester Bangs wrote some really killer rock journalism. So if anybody wants to check it out, I think there's a collection of his stuff called um, Main Lines and Blood Feasts and another one called uh, <laughs> Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung. So, I mean, it's just, I mean... Even if people aren't, if you're not into the bands that he writes about, you know, he's talking about 60s and 70s rock bands and he likes yeah. the weird stuff too, like the proto punk. He likes Iggy and the Stooges and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the writing itself is really great. So we were talking earlier about how he did this really great piece. I think it was in Cream in maybe the early, early to mid 70s. And he went and saw Sabbath at a big stadium show. Okay. And his whole thing was that. So Sabbath was kind of known as this like creepy, um, occultic type band with really dark, a really dark kind of message and occultic imagery and stuff. And a lot of the rock then was all about partying and here along comes Sabbath and they're super serious. They're talking about the apocalypse and stuff, you know, (laughs) which wasn't really a thing in like flower power, late (laughs) sixties, like hippie rock. So it was kind of a thing, but they were kind of probably unfairly pegged as this occultic band because if you listen to those first couple sabbath records like we were talking about earlier there's all these bible themes <laughs> right, like there's right. that one song where it literally sounds like christian lyrics if you would, <laughs> if you didn't know otherwise yeah you gotta uh, re- you gotta read a stanza of that because like a- I think after people- forever
Okay, so forget what you just heard, everybody, and pretend <laughs> you didn't hear anything. And I'm going to read you these lyrics, and you tell me what band you think wrote them. Uh, have you ever thought about your soul? Can it be saved? Or perhaps you think that when you're dead, you just stay in your grave. Is God just a thought within your head, or is he a part of you? Is Christ just a name you read in a book when you were at school? When you think about death, do you lose your breath, or do you keep your cool? <laughs> okay, uh, let me skip ahead. Uh, well, I have seen the truth. Yes, I have seen the light, and I've changed my ways. And I'll be prepared when you're lonely and scared at the end of your days. Could it be you're afraid of what your friends might say if they knew you believe in God above? They should realize before they criticize that God is the only way to love. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> so there's a Sabbath lyric for you. Yeah. Who would have thunk, you know? I mean, even if you listen to War Pigs, he's, you know, Satan laughing spreads his wings. That's the line everybody realizes. But he's saying the devil is laughing by all these war pigs slaughtering people for money. I mean, that's right. Yeah, the, that, the whole point is satanic. <laughs> yeah, the whole point is that he's saying like the whole the whole war machine is uh, all these bad politics. that's satanic. I mean, that that's the whole point of it. Like, yeah. why are all these kids going off to the Vietnam War? That's what he's talking about. Yeah. And so it's just saying this is all satanic. Why is this happening? You know. I think that's amazing. Yeah. So Lester Bangs' whole thing is like he he was talking about kind of the imagery that the band had that when he really stepped back and looked at what the what the band were doing, what they were singing about, um, that it was basically coming from a place of Christian morality, basically. <laughs> so you consider, I mean, it sounds like Ozzy probably grew up in the church. And if, you know, they they those guys grew up in England, working class, uh, where were they from? I can't remember I, now. I don't know. England, as far as, is all I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it was like a working class town. And, uh, yeah. you know, so well, dude, you can't dress like that and not be from a working class town or else right. you're done for. <laughs> so they were, I mean, they would have been Church of England or Catholic probably. And so those guys probably grew up in religious schools. They had somewhat of a Christian vocabulary. And Lester Bangs' whole thing is like, this is basically the first catholic rock band of all time you know and he, he actually he says it in the article you know yeah which is uh it's not like there's a whole lot of genius being spouted by ozzy but it's i mean it's pretty clear black and white like what they're really saying so to me it's always been weird that they have this association of like as being this kind of satanic occultic band like i i just read it and i'm like oh it sounds like he's dumbing down stuff from the book of revelation or something you know Hmm. Interesting. Kind of fascinating, right? I can honestly say that before Matt and I had this little talk, I had never really considered this as a possibility. I mean, I've heard Sabbath my whole life. Sure, I've noticed bits and pieces, but never, I never really thought about Black Sabbath being anything other than Black Sabbath. And I'm not saying that they're definitely not that. I'm just saying it's up for debate. If anything else, the next time you hear that old Aussie era Black Sabbath, you're going to pay a little more attention, aren't you? I think it's possible. I wonder who else might, might be out there, maybe perceived to be anti-Christian or atheist or whatever, while somewhere under the surface, 
a true believer lurks. Father, can you hear me? How have I let you down? I curse the day that I was born And all the sorrow in this world Let me take you to the hurting ground Think about it. I'll admit it. I just put the song in here because deep down, I want to cover it so bad. Seriously, read the lyrics to Sorrow by Bad Religion, which you just heard. Forget that Bad Religion wrote it. I could totally cover that song and not even blink an eye. Weird thing is, I kind of keep picturing Greg Graffin before God talking about this song. But Lord, look, I know they have plenty of other songs to the contrary, but still, you know, one day, maybe, maybe. Does that mean? I don't know. I'm hoping for the best. Praying for you, Greg Graffin. Okay, enough. I'm so far off point. And by the way, we'll have more from Matt in a little bit. Slayer shreds. <laughs> okay, got an email here. A listener and Facebook super type bro, Jafar Green, wrote this in. Dear Mark, out of all the records I've listened to and all the movies and books I've watched and read, there's one thing that's had a profound impact on me spiritually, emotionally, or whatever lees you can think of. When I was a little kid, my parents had their record collection at the house, which was my first introduction to music. I really got drawn to the music of Stevie Wonder. My dad had all his classic 70s albums, and I was hooked on them. Even still, to this day, I'm convinced his music is the best shit ever. But out of everything, Songs in the Key of Life really stood out to me. It's my favorite album of all time. It was also Gene Eugene's fave as well. Huh, I did not know that. Between songs like Have a Talk with God and The Line in As where Stevie growls that you can bet your life twice that and twice it's double that God knew exactly where he wanted you to be placed, 
I found more spiritual meaning and inspiration than any other worship song I'd ever heard. But a few years ago, after going through a rough breakup, I was listening to Love's in Need of Love today, and I finally felt like I understood what it meant. I realized I was letting hate keep breaking my heart while thinking it was just about this girl that screwed me over. It's about forgiveness and wanting to love people instead of rejecting them, which maybe it's just me, but that sounds like what Jesus talked about. Anyway, hopefully this wasn't too long. Thanks again. And Lala, he says a bunch of nice stuff. Cheers, Jafar. Ah. We all know sometimes I change in trouble and make you wish you were born in another time and space. But to invent your life times that and twice it's double. That God knew exactly where he wanted you to be placed. So make sure when you say you're in it, but not of it. Not helping to make it to my place Sometimes call hell Change your words into truth And then change that truth into love And maybe our children, grandchildren And they great Yeah, Stevie Look, Jafar's point is simple truth Which I adore And even further How's your sovereignty jam, Stevie? I mean, seriously, these days, I I don't know that a lyric like that gets heard in mainstream music without some sort of huge debate. You know, whatever the latest hot button reason is for being mad at Christians or whatever. I love it. This type of example leads us to the consideration of interpretation, okay? I mean, maybe we're not talking direct links to what we recognize as a straight-up representation of Scripture or even allegory. But in terms of the themes we hold dear in our faith, I think there's a lot of value in appreciating art in this way, you know? Isn't it kind of where your head is at? I mean, where is your head at? What are you looking for? What do you draw from art? How much power do you give the art itself? This stuff is in scripture. It's the creative offering of humans. We're allowed to take different truths from art. You don't have to get into doctrine or heavier matters. Just pull the truth and see where it takes you. By the way, Matt had some really great things to say as we continued talking, and I feel like uh, they kind of touch on this very idea, and I would feel like a fool if I just let them go unheard. So... So much talk about the whole Christian rock thing, and yeah. Bill talks about when the when the conversation comes up, like, oh, my stomach's starting to hurt. I don't want to talk about this. And I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things you got to talk about. And it I comes up, and so I I feel like I can really appreciate where people are coming from. From like uh, Ryan, you had Ryan Clark on the show a while mm-hmm. back, and you know they talked about it a lot, and they came to this place where they said, "Yeah, we're just going to say we're a Christian band, and it kind of keeps it simple." And you know, you kind of have to have thick skin and have the same kinds of conversations over and over and over. And it's totally understandable why people do that. Um, I think that was brave of him and his bandmates because then they have to, <laughs> they, they have to put up with a lot of shit, you know, in order to yeah. do that. Yeah, and I think <laughs> what it is did he important. say? No matter what you say, you you there you there's no winning. It's just yeah. there's no winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. But I but I think 
There's this weird demarcation, though, where even beyond like the conversation behind the venue, the, the Christian venue, talking to the Christian kid that wants to talk to you about crazy end times eschatology or like what you believe mm-hmm. or whatever, beyond all that nonsense, there's all this conversation among Christian artists, I guess, of different kinds where there's this talk of like redeeming the culture and redeeming art or whatever. And I I feel like I've been kind of rethinking that a little bit where I don't think we really need to redeem it, you know, because it's something (laughs) in creation. God gave us good things to do. I mean, we, we were given the cultural mandate, you know, like go and plant things, make things, have a family, you know? Right. And you don't need the Christian faith in order to do that. I mean, that's just the nature of being a human being. You know what I mean? So I feel like all this talk of redeeming and sort of spiritualizing art forms or like taking it back for Christianity or whatever, it's just a part (laughs) of what human beings do. We just create things. And I, I mean, I believe that that does have a, a biblical cultural basis. We're made in the image of likeness of God, and therefore we are going to also create as as He creates. You know, lesser right. things, obviously. But um, so all this talk of uh, you know redeeming the culture, or redeeming the arts, or this or that. I just don't think you. I don't know. I I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I just think no, people I think they over spiritualize it. You know. I think you're making perfect sense, and I don't. I don't think it's the same discussion. You know, we we don't need to go over the Christian rock stipulation yeah. over there. It's what I was getting at earlier, and what I I still feel like I was pulling from what you were talking about yesterday was we're we're trying to apply the the way we see the world to the way we're going to see our faith in the world, and I don't think that that works. It's the same mentality that says, man, could you imagine how much good this person or that person could do? They're such a great artist. They're such a great singer. If they became a Christian, then, you know, that's not the way he works. And any kind of, anything that flirts with that sort of mentality, you get into, into some serious problems. And if you stop and you just look at things completely differently, if you stop with all this trying to trying to find a Christian hero amongst all these villains. If you stop trying to do that and you just say, okay, here's this guy. He believes whatever it is he believes, but I can show you right now where what that dude is doing glorifies God because everything glorifies God. It's it's the perversion of his creation that's the problem. Everything in its purest form is just a glorification of God. It's a, it's the human, just like you said, creating something, obviously much less than what God has done. But by creating that thing, you are trying, you are, you are glorifying God, and you are reflecting what He has done. Now, your motivation may not be where He wants it to be, but this is a long life, you know, that you're going to be walking on, where you're going to learn some lessons. So. Isn't yeah. it much more productive to say, wow, you know, you're an incredible artist. I like imagine walking up to the best singer you ever heard and saying, you have an amazing voice. And this person was just singing about the devil or whatever. And yeah. say, you have an amazing singing voice. I, I, I praise God for your voice. Like <laughs> what yeah. a different approach would that be? You know what? You know, but 
I, I think it's accurate. I think that's spot on. Yeah, I don't know. for sure. I, um, so I, you know, I can listen to some blatantly very dark music and get some redeeming qualities out of it, you know, in some ways it's sort of in the, in the eye of the beholder kind of thing too. I mean, I can listen to Slayer and just be like, this shreds so hard and this is so (laughs) good and not have it affect like my, um, my mindset or state of being like, I, I can say, uh, Carrie King totally shreds. Uh, he may not know his creator, but I can recognize talent and I love listening to this, you know? Yeah. And so, and so who am I and who am I to go policing where that guy's coming from? I can, within a, within a clear conscience, like listen to something, um, and benefit by it just out of pure enjoyment, you know? Right a lot of the darker music that I might listen to like metal or whatever it it's um you're so metal, I'm man. so metal I don't just <laughs> listen to metal but I do listen to a good bit of metal but know. you know there's like a there's sort of an, a I mean even if it's t- kind of tongue in cheek and by the way slayer is kind of tongue in cheek if people don't you know <laughs> yeah. i mean this is like 50 year old dudes like it's hilarious you know telling stories about serial killers and stuff so it's <laughs> but a, a lot of these bands like they paint a picture of the world it might be a dark picture of the world but it's also honest you know yeah. what i mean and, and they're just count for something yeah totally and it's like i in some ways i'd rather hear an honest depiction of things um rather than a packaged christian message that's only used as a tool that's basically propaganda track you've now heard isaac air freight black sabbath slayer bad religion and stevie wonder all on one show and it actually made sense kind of dj rainbow who knew when i spoke to chris foley or texted uh, whom you might remember from the in or out episodes and who one day i promise will appear on this show along with one of the more mysterious bands ever just not today anyway chris suggested the paul thomas anderson film Magnolia as a great example of the theme of redemption and even some of the themes that might require a little more work to get to 
like the constant appearance of Exodus 8-2, and of course, the reigning of the frogs. There's some good stuff in there if you're into the whole interpretation thing, and you are, aren't you? Please say you are. Chris said, During the frog scene, where each character finally comes to terms with their particular struggle, it is a real turning point. Brokenness, forgiveness, finally standing up for something, a new beginning, salvation and redemption. Again, thank you, Chris. I don't think Anderson ever really explains the meaning of those themes or of the movie itself. And really, what fun is that? But with the help of Chris's suggestion, how can you miss? How can you miss it? I'm of the school belief that the Exodus reference is about letting go. You know, that's one of the let my people go verses. Like holding on to this, whatever this is, is only what you think you want. It's certainly a theme within the film. And I can kind of relate to that. Never was this. Chris also mentioned other examples of themes we can carry with us because he is awesome and easily one of the best things to come of me doing this show. He cited Lord of the Rings and Breaking Bad as examples of the downward spiral of the passions, which is a show unto itself. I mean, who doesn't relate to holding on to something so unhealthy, but you want it so bad? And the next thing you know, you're jumping into Mountain Doom. Or you're a drug kingpin and your kid wants to cut you with a big giant knife. Anyway, Chris was not alone in his suggestion of significant themes that relate to walking the path. Listeners Brandon Trammell and Hector Chavez wrote in suggesting Amistad and Pan's Labyrinth. Both great movies. Again, themes of redemption abound. Sadly, guys, I couldn't pull any clips from those movies because subtitles. But thank you nonetheless. Look, I just can't call looking for these kinds of truths in any form of art a waste of time. And people do it all the time when they're looking at paintings. They do it all the time when they're reading a poem. It's certainly more fulfilling than the same old rehash of the crazy Christian or the secretly super evil for two seconds preacher we've seen like a hundred times. I mean, unless you're given a new twist on that, why bother? Shut up, man. Come to pastor. What? Probably smoke bud too. How you doing, brother Craig? How you doing? I'm all right. Well, I'll see him. But yeah, is sister Jones in? Nope. Need this brother Jones. They both at work. Your ass need to be nimble. Excuse me, brother. What we call drugs is 74th Street Baptist Church. We call us sin and sin sin. We're around here, between Normandy and Weston. We call this here a little twin and twin twin. Wow. Mega. Why don't you just give him a little bit for my cataract? You didn't put in on this, man. Been to get a receipt, my brother. Look, 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 she bending over. Claude Hammers. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Excuse me, brother. Miss Parker! Miss Parker! Can I talk Told to you, Miss Parker? We be letting you know. Evil lurks. <laughs> This just in, Bernie Mac counts as a twist. But it's there so often. You see some movie, watch some show, or even listen to some song, and God, faith, and or Christianity are again and again portrayed in either a detestable light or a stupid one. To my experience, the loonies, like them Westboro wingnuts, and the TV Christian have one thing in common. They give off nothing of the scent of Jesus Christ. And of course, 
They are silly and not very intelligent and they make no sense. Is this a real problem? Does it matter? Does this really constitute persecution? Honestly, no. Here, go to persecution.com. Click around for about five minutes. Shouldn't take long to see what true persecution is. Persecution is people being persecuted, like life in danger persecuted, not just spoken of meanly. There are people all across the world spreading the gospel in word and deed whose lives are in danger. What's weird, and by that I mean not weird at all, these kinds of Christians are never on those TV shows. I mean, Bill Maher, the wonderful and benevolent Bill Maher, the Fox News of so-called liberal media. Bill Maher will never have my uncle, a missionary of some 40 years and a teacher of inductive Bible study, on his oh-so-brave show where the entire audience in attendance already agrees with him. He's not going to have anyone like that on there. You know, the pastor or theologian you know would represent in a much more effective or accurate way. None of the great men or women of God walking around out there right now will ever be on these shows. Just deal with it. And before you get too carried away, Fox News isn't doing any features on Francis Chan anytime soon either, so it ain't just the crazy liberals. Why is that? Why aren't these true believers ever accurately represented in TV, film, and literature? Well, partially, they're not nuts enough. It's bad TV. Or ignorant enough. But also because, well, I said it before and you already know, this isn't our home. It's pointless for any true believer to expect anything else. No, they're only interested in the nut jobs. You see, Christians in these scenarios and shows and films, and you have no choice but to sit there helplessly in silence thinking, that isn't true. That is not true. So why does it bother you? If it's not real persecution, why does it bother you? Well, I don't know, but I know why it bothers me. Because deep down, I know that media and entertainment influence people, and that's all there is to it. It may not be persecution, but it's influence. And it, it's, it's wrong. It's not true. It may be a sign of a weak society. I don't know. Probably. Nevertheless, pop culture has been given prominent placement in this entertainment all the time society. There's no sense in not acknowledging the influence. Yes, people make their own choices. But if you're told enough that this is what everyone thinks, eventually, it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility that you start believing it. Propaganda is an effective tool in wartime, and aren't we at war? I think it's naive to deny the influence of what we see all the time. However, while we aren't typically well represented, the truth still comes through. We will never and should never really fit in. Strangers in a strange land and all. But I think there are whispers. God's love for mankind cannot be fully blotted out by something as weak and sad as pop culture. Remember, flower in the sidewalk. We talked earlier about the loonies, and I promise not to linger on them too long because really, haven't they gotten enough airtime? Like I said, I want to focus on the positive, but I just have to set this up from where it started because it's sincere. <laughs> so, what do you got, Mark? Well, 
I think the most classic bar-setting example of the lunatic TV Christian comes to us from our old nemesis, Stephen King, in the kind of horror classic, Carrie, and the dubious character, Margaret White. Mama, I was so scared. I was done. And the girls, they all laughed at me and threw things at me. And Eve was weak. No, Mama. Eve was weak. No. Eve was weak. No. Eve was weak. Say it. No, Mama. Say it. He was weak. He was weak. And the Lord said he was a curse. And a curse was a curse of blood. You should have told me, Mama. You should have told me. Oh, Lord. Help the sinning woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. She no. may have been tempted by the Antichrist. She may have committed the sin of lustful thoughts. No, Mama, oh, don't no. lie to me, Carrie. Don't you know by now I can see inside you? I can see the sin as surely as God can. No, no, we'll pray. No. We'll pray, no. woman. No. Pray no. for our no. lustful no. sinning no. souls. No. No. God is visiting no. the curse. No. This was like... No, no, Mama. No, Mama. This was the second curse. And this was a curse of childhood. And he dropped off pain and sweat and blood. Genesis no, through 16. I mean, is it satisfying to anyone to experience this character? I don't think she represents anyone I've ever met. And I've met some crazy people. But pointing this out is like saying politicians are liars or telemarketers are a drag. Everybody already knows this. Now, by old nemesis, I mean not as much anymore. See Mother Abigail, John Coffey, or David Carver from Desperation. But still, King has written some pretty canned, stereotypical crazy Christians, and Mama White sort of embodies them. The lame and weakly written representation of the Christian in fiction. This is the same guy who gave us the crazy Carmody lady from The Mist and Big Jim the sociopath from Under the Dome. It's just lazy. And man, I like Stephen King. But see, this is too easy. Low-hanging fruit. It's, it's just kind of boring. What does it really matter in the long run anyway? Not much. My question is, why? Where does this need to display Christians as such nuts come from? Is it hurt from the past? Somebody did somebody wrong? I mean, these are people writing this, you know? These are human beings writing these stories. I wouldn't be surprised to find some history of these writers includes betrayal by the church, by the faith, or a battle with God. Whatever that battle might be, and it's coming through the art. That I'm okay with. That, to me, represents walking the path in truth. That sounds like a path where God will meet you. Oh, maybe a legitimate experience with fraud. That's the only explanation that, can, that makes any sense to me. But here's what's awesome. Not all Christian folk in these scenarios are written as such wooden, cartoon-like caricatures. Even when shown as super awful people, occasionally there are wrinkles of truth that speak volumes. Take the film There Will Be Blood, for example. Daniel, may I speak with you? Yes, come in. Good morning. Good morning. How is all the work coming? Everything's good. 
All the men are provided for. Of course. Spirits seem high. Is there anything that you need from me? Anything the church can do for you? I don't believe so, no, thank you. I understand you've asked the people to gather round and watch the well begin tomorrow, is that right? That's right. I will bless the well. Before you begin, you should introduce me. You'll see me walk up towards the oil well, and when I... Derek. You'll see me walk up, and then you could say my name. When you walk up? Yes, you'll see me walk up, and then you could say... The proud son of these hills, who tended his father's flock. And then you could say my name. That's fine. And what happens then? Well, then we start the drill. It's a simple blessing, Daniel, but an important one. It's just a few words, it won't take long. What time? What time's good for you, Eli? Four o'clock. Well, let's make it four o'clock then. My thanks for your visit. Good day. Thank you. Obviously, like instantly, this guy is that guy. The sanctimonious prick who wants people to see him instead of capital H, him. But then something crazy happens. I don't want to give too much away, but at one point, the main character parts ways with his adopted son. To say selfishly parts ways would be a major understatement. And then his moral compass just goes nuts, some pretty horrible things happen, and he just watches himself sink straight to rock bottom. But... Who's it? I'm Bandy. sick. This was before you boy got sick. Now I know that you would like to build a pipeline through my property. Is that right what I've heard? It's absolutely right. Uh, well, it's pipe. It can be buried with your consent. I guarantee you uh, absolutely no deception. God has told me what you must do. What is that? You should be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, but I, I, I am. I have been washed, Miss Bandy. I, I have been. It's your only way to salvation. And your only way for what you want. You can take it at the Church of the Third Revelation. I'll pay you $3,000. I'd like you to be part of our church. 
I'll pay you $5,000. Be baptized. Be forgiven for this sin that you've done. What sin are you uh, referring to, Mr. Bandy? My, my sin of drilling? Gentle, sincere grace. Right there. Daniel Plainview, the main character in A Truly Ruthless Man, is shown grace. And it doesn't seem overly ridiculous. Sadly, the truth-telling doesn't stop there. I truly wish everyone could be saved, don't you? Yes. Yes. I'm afraid that's just not the case. The doctrine of universal salvation is a lie, is it not? It's a lie. I wish everyone could be saved, but they won't. No, they won't. You will never be saved if you... Reject the blood. Good. Is there a sinner here looking for salvation? A new member. I'll ask it again. Is there a sinner here looking for God? Yes. Thank you for coming, Brother Daniel. Thank you, Eli. We have a sinner with us here who wishes for salvation. Daniel, are you a sinner? Yes. Oh, the Lord can't hear you, Daniel. Say it to him. Go ahead and speak to him. It's all right. Yes. Down on your knees and to him. and you've brought good and wealth, but you have also brought your bad habits as a backslider. You've lusted after women, and you have abandoned your child. Your child that you raised, you have abandoned all because he was sick and you have sinned. So say it now. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Say it louder. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Louder, Daniel. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I am sorry, Lord. I am sorry, Lord. I want the blood. I want the blood. You have abandoned your child. I've abandoned my child. I will never backslide. I will never backslide. I was lost, but now I am found. I was lost, but now I'm found. I have abandoned my child. Say it. Say it. I abandoned my child. Say it louder. Say it louder. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my boy! Beg for the blood! Give me the blood, Eli. Let me get out of here. Give me the blood, Lord! And let me get away! Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Get out of here, devil! Out, devil! Out, sin! Do you you accept the church of the third revelation as your spiritual guide? Get out of here! 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 Get out of
you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, I do. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you rebuild the victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Ah. He has an opportunity to really do something valid, and the film shows it, then shows him miss it. In one scene, potential redemption, gone. Tragic as it may be, to me, the scene is both powerful and nothing if not honest. Imagine the day you finally admitted you were a sinner. You know, you just, you just broke down, and some dope ruins it by selling out right there in the middle of it. Crucial moment, poof. I mean, who knows what road you have to walk down to get back to that place? It's slightly terrifying if you think about it. Tell me, though. Tell me right now. Tell me there wasn't something real in there. Okay, so a favorite example of this hidden realness is Robert Duvall's portrayal of the Apostle E.F. in the 1997 film The Apostle. This is a guy you know. I know. He's got some flaws, all right, and he runs from them. But in a miraculous stroke of miraculous miracles, he doesn't become a lunatic. He becomes a sincere, honest servant of God with some skeletons in his closet. And he shows it the way sincere, honest servants of God do best, through yelling. Hashtag my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I once in a while, woman, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. Hi. You let me down. Now, he was spoken home. Hello? Miss Dewey, it sounds like you got a wild man over there carrying on and hollering and whatever. Who is that over there? Is that your son or who is that? Oh, well, that's, that is my son. That he's, I tell you, ever since he was a little bitty boy, sometimes talks to the Lord and sometimes he yells at the Lord. And tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. Well, could you tell him to talk a little softer or whatever? Because people got to get their sleep. Do you know what time it is? Hello? Now I'm calling you, Jesus. Talk to Sonny. You don't talk to Sunday tonight, it seems like. But I can't get you. Oh, wait. I know why I know this guy. I've been this guy. 
At this point in most movies and films, the main character turns into some kind of monster. And no, not the acceptable kind of monster. Not a heavy drinker, depressed, or heartbreakingly lonely monster. You know, like the kinds of monsters we're all used to running across. Unless, of course, the character is all those things together with some weird shit mixed in. No, he usually ends up some kind of murderous wretch or like a sexual deviant or a demon or something. But this time... Things turn in a different direction. Glory to God. Don't look at me like that. I know what you're trying to do. And you think I can be had, don't you? Nobody knows that book. Nobody. Well, I can move it. I can move it just as quick as you can. No, sir. Glory. Everybody say, nobody moves that book. Nobody moves that book. Say it one more time. Nobody moves that book. And a third time. Nobody moves that book. And a fourth time. Nobody moves that book. One more time. Nobody moves that book. No, sir. Nobody. 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 I know why you came here. You didn't come here to knock my turret down, did you? You came for another reason, didn't you? No, I came to knock your church down. No, oh, sir. Yes, sir, I did. Well, you ain't gonna knock it down. I want you to know that. I, I, folks, I just have a hard time. Let me see if I can position myself where I can hear a little better. And there it is, yes. I didn't come to knock your church down. Yes, sir. I know. I know. That's why I'm kneeling with you. And I'll pray with you if you want me to. And I'll even cry. I'll do anything you want me to do with you. Because I know you're a good man. I know it. Yes, yes. The young man's not nearly as angry. In fact, I, I believe he's, he actually has a tear in his eye. Amen. You reach out. The Lord will accept you here today. If you reach out, He'll accept you here forevermore. And He will love you forever, even as we in this church love you now. And forevermore. Do I hear somebody say amen? Amen. This may be the very first conversion we've had over the airwaves. Amen. In fact, I'm quite sure that it is. I've seen some movies, okay? Seen some church scenes. But that right there, with Billy Bob Thornton, no less, that's like real. I remember watching this movie and afterward going, hey, that wasn't total bullshit. Give me some comfort. People break down into two groups. When 
experience something lucky, group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign, evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. Group number two sees it as just pure luck, a happy turn of chance. I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way. For them, this situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. Yeah, there are those people. But there's a whole lot of people in the group number one. And they see those 14 lights. They're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there'll be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. See, what you have to ask yourself is what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs? sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? Ooh, signs. The general consensus these days is that if life is found on other planets, then all we believe about God, or any faith really, is moot and thrown out. The crisis of alien strikes. That bores me to death. So I have no time for it. And like Larry Norman said, way back in the 70s, If there's life on other planets, then I'm sure that he must know. And he's been there once already, and has died to say they're so. So shut it. What I loved about this film was the depiction of a man who's lost his faith. The accuracy of it, of the emotion of that. The redemption when he comes to terms with it. Pretty well done. Sadly, after this, an actual alien stole M. Night from us and replaced him with a dude who makes really goofy, not very twisty movies. Please come back and get this guy. Give us back the old M. Night, frickin' aliens. Side bonus, if you go on YouTube and see the Brian Guyman uploaded version of this scene, you can observe me feeding a troll. If I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed. Not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. But he stands alone, and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me 
and many such plans he still has in store. That is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. The Leftovers. Possibly an episode of Never Was unto itself, really. Taking place in the near future, something has happened. An event. The Great Departure. That's what the people on the show call it. 2% of all the population is removed from the Earth, inexplicably. Now, they never say this is a show about the rapture, but I think it's a pretty solid theory. It's Damon Lindelof. He's the same dude who gave us Lost and couldn't admit that everybody guessed that it was about purgatory like two episodes in. So points to him, possibly learning the error of his ways and expecting an intelligent audience. They never say this show is about the rapture, but instead they guess at it within the show in itself, which is freaking cool. That's way cooler than I thought possible. And I have to say, I did not expect them to do this right. Look, what I believe with regard to eschatology doesn't matter. What I do believe is if this is how things go down, the world we know would look a lot different, and not just because of the people who went missing. Check this out. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7-10. through 10. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. What I take from this show and prayers like the eulogy that I just played a minute ago, is that this is a picture of what the world might look like without the constraining power of the Holy Spirit. That's just my theory, okay? It's my theory. What would a world without the Spirit be like? Well, let's just say The Leftovers hasn't exactly been described as a pick-me-up show, okay? But to me, that's only part of it. I believe that if the rapture is truly the way the world comes to an end, and that this is indeed what the world would look like without the Holy Spirit to constrain the power of the devil. Pretty arty show, pretty dark, but not as dark or arty as the addiction. Hmm. Why don't you just tell me to leave you alone? Like you mean it. Harder. You want to go someplace dark? Sally Grayson, whom you should remember from the In the Closet episode, I think about number 16, 15, 16. Sally read my Facebook post and sent me this suggestion. The Addiction with Lily Taylor and Christopher Walken 
as vampires. There's no way this isn't awesome from the word go, obviously. Well, Christopher Walken as a vampire, for crying out loud, I mean, he was meant to do it. But upon further inspection, this movie is way more than just some goofy horror film. Your breath smells like shit. You know that? You know how long I've been fasting? 40 years. The last time I shot up, I had a dozen and a half in one night. They fall like flies before the hunger, don't they? You can never get enough, can you? But you learn to control it. You learn, like the Tibetans, to survive on a little. Yeah. So, what you been doing? What do you have inside? Any kids? A lot of them. Any children? First one's the hardest, isn't it? After that, they're like all the rest. The theory is this is an allegory for either drug addiction or sin, but I think the drug thing is too easy. I'm sure there are some who would swear this has nothing to do with sin or theology or God because, you know, heaven forbid there be an artistic depiction of anything that has to do with God who created art. Jeez, maybe Christians aren't the only ones who should be reading Addicted to Mediocrity. Hmm? Hmm? I guess you gotta ask yourself, does this sound like drugs talking, or what? What do you want from me? No. What do you want from me? You came after me, you took my hand, you tried to force me into some alley. Isn't that how it went? You think you understand things, you know nothing. You understand nothing. I'll show you what you are. Teach you what hunger is. Yeah, no. I think to deny that this is anything less than an artistic depiction of sin or possibly temptation makes no sense. And, and what other movie drops an R.C. Sproul reference? Now, R.C. Sproul said we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. In more accessible terms. We're not evil because of the evil we do. But we do evil because we are evil. Yeah. And what choices do such people have? It's not like we have any options. Okay, for me, that's what I got. But this stuff gets me fired up. Unexpected, refreshing, stimulating. Finding these hidden messages, I freaking feel like Indiana Jones. I'm not the only one, am I? Am I? Check it out. My old buddy, Mike Lewis, gave me a little time to talk about this subject. And, uh, you know, not all the messages are all that hidden. Check this out. Any movie or TV show where they try to, to either make something about the Bible, it always sucks balls. <laughs> so we can just... We can just start there. And okay. Like, you I think know, I could agree with all that. All the recent ones, like Noah and, you know. Uh, oh, my gosh, dude. The other movie, I mean, they were just, it was just almost unbearable um, and hard and hard to watch. And then <laughs> and then take it the other way, all, all the TBN guys that make all those, like, little oh, oh, movies man. that they make, it's just all nonsense. But no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Why are they doing it is my question. Who is watching it? I don't know. And 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 the thing that drives me nuts. So the, you know, uh, the Moses one, oh, it's man. like 
they went way out of their way to be sure that before it came out that they told everyone that it's not for Christians and that you're not going to like it. And Mm -hmm. it's not about, you know, we don't really follow the Bible. It's like, why would you shoot yourself in the foot (laughs) and totally alienate like the one people who could, you know, show up and make your movie do, do really well, but it sucked balls because they just tried to explain away. Oh man. Um, what was with the little boy trying like, Dude, you have a supernatural nonsense. thing already with the with the burning bush. You don't need to add like a, a ghost boy. I don't get no. I don't get where any of that came from. I actually went and saw that with my buddy Jason Evans. It was like the, one of the first guys that I interviewed for the show, but his his episode had really bad audio. We could have put it out. So we go to this movie, and dude, I mean. <laughs> It's a little awkward, you know, we don't really know each other. Uh, And we're sitting there watching this thing and we found a way to bond. This is, we can both agree, was the shit movie. (laughs) I mean, it was just... Totally. And then, dude, how do you, how do you make a movie about Exodus and then remove the tagline, let my people go? I think they said it one time in the whole movie. Well, and it wasn't even, it was like, we're going to fight, you know, it it, it was, it was stupid, man. It it was just, it made me so mad. (laughs) And they're trying to explain the plagues and, you know, that it all, you know, it wasn't divine. And, and you know, the thing is, that's fine. You want to tell some story um, and you don't want God a part of it. But why would you take a story about God and not at least cover it? it, it I don't know. It was stupid. But, I mean, to answer your first question, so there's two movies for me that have a lot of spiritual uh relevance to me one of them would be schindler's list uh-huh. and i think that um that whole scene towards the end oh yeah where he is uh he's standing there with all the jews and he's like talking about he's gonna sell his car you know this car i could have got 15 people for this car uh-huh. or or you know this ring this ring i could have man that that uh scene has just burned in in, in my head with ev with with just my life yeah and you know, like when I do things and and when I spend money on things, I'm like, man, do I really, you know, at the end of it, when the war's over, you know, am I going to be standing there going, man, you know, this this house could I have, you know, helped 120 people with this house? I mean, that's one example of you know something that uh, at least has a moves me towards feeling like God is, you know, kind of trying to tell a story. Two people. 
this is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person is there. For this. I could have gone. One more person. And I didn't. Um, the second one would be the um, the devil's advocate. Really? Oh yeah. Well, I think that is that's exactly how Satan would be. You know, huh. that Al Pacino, you know, when he's going through this whole speech about how, you know, they never see me coming and, you know, talking yeah. about all the, you know, I, I, I don't know, I loved all the parts of that movie and how, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, they finally covered the devil in a in a good way. And it's not just like horns and, you know, fire. It's like a lawyer, you know, <laughs> no, go back, go back and watch it. And at least like take in all the one-liners yeah, because yeah. I thought like all the one-liners, I'm like, man, I bet that's, re- I mean, I bet that's really the way he is, you know, the plan. And that's really, you know, the story. It's not like little evil demons, you know, yeah, yeah. it was like this whole thing of like, yeah, we're just, you know, they never see me coming. And, and he's always talking about, yeah, if you just, you know, basically laying out his strategy. <laughs> and I was like, man, that totally is the strategy. Outstanding. Go figure it. A guy like Moyes, living in some subterranean shithole, all the while, he's walking around with $15 million in his bank account. You're kidding. What do you think he's paying us in, goat's blood? Hey, Tarzan, we're billing you out at 400 an hour, my friend. I don't see a whole lot of pro bono work in your immediate future. I figured you came down here to make sure I didn't fuck this up. Maybe I did. Don't get too cocky, my boy, no matter how good you are. Don't ever let them see you coming. That's the gaff, my friend. You got to keep yourself small, innocuous. Maybe the little guy. You know, the nerd, the leper, shit-kicking surfer. Look at me. Underestimated from day one. You'd never think I was a master of the universe now, would you? That's your only weakness, as far as I can see. What's that? It's the look. That Florida stud thing. What is that? Excuse me, ma'am. Did I leave my boots under your bed? (laughs) Never worked a jury didn't have a woman. Yeah, but you know what you're missing? You're missing what I have. There's this beautiful girl just fucked me. Forty ways from Sunday. We're done. She's walking to the bathroom. She's trying to walk. She turns. (laughs) She looks. It's me. Not the Trojan army just fucked her. Little old me. She gets this look on her face like, how the hell did that happen? (laughs) I'm the hand of Mona Lisa's skirt. I'm a surprise, Kevin. They don't see me coming. That's what you're missing. Ah, yes. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that because I did. 
Listen, I want to say this. This stuff really does get me fired up. Why? Because I believe that all art, all creation is to God's glory. Simple as that. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. When I stumble across these little revelations, it reminds me that God is great and that he can be found guiding, correcting, and encouraging us anywhere. And he shares the glory of that with no one. Tonight, we heard a lot. Isaac Air Freight from my childhood in their skit Crazy Christians. Man, I used to listen to those records all the time. The Mist, an old Looney Tune, Mrs. Carmody. U2's Until the End of the World. Black Sabbath's After Forever. Bad Religion's Sorrow. And of course, Slayer and the masterpiece, Rain and Blood. Again, I bet you never thought you'd hear those jams on here. Stevie Wonder's As. Other movie clips include Friday, Carrie, There Will Be Blood, The Apostle, Maybe I should watch that tonight. Maybe. HBO's The Leftovers. That show's coming back on in like a month. The Addiction, Schindler's List, and The Devil's Advocate. And of course, <sighs> Left Behind. LOL Left Behind. Wowzers. Wowzers. This took a while. <laughs> okay, any other music clips you heard that I forgot to mention? I'm sorry. Sue me. Or... Don't sue me. Do not sue me. It's 1.45 in the morning, man. I'm tired. All the other music that you heard tonight was from my band White Lighter and our self-titled debut. This show was produced by Billy Power of Urban Achiever Show and of the Urban Achiever Podcast. Also, side note, please check out Mike Lewis's new podcast, Giving is Believing. And I can guarantee you'll be hearing more from Mo Lewis soon enough. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the show with others. I will be back as soon as I can. I have not abandoned you. Meanwhile, keep an eye out for flowers in the sidewalk. <laughs> That's like the most Disney thing I've ever said, and I've said it like 15 times. But I think it's awesome, so whatever. All right, be good. Rainbow out. <laughs>